Thank you for this opportunity to, to drop um, continuously into your word um, because it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. So, God, I pray in Christ's name that um, our minds, our souls, and our spirits would be absolutely unadulteratedly impacted by the truth of the gospel as we go through the gospel of Mark, continu- I mean, gospel of John continuously, Lord God. Being I miss me, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord God, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. In Jesus Christ's name we pray and everybody agree with that said. Amen, amen, amen. Let's big up God one more time. Man, I um man, you know, um, it's interesting today, um, some jokers from my past going to try to roll up in here and um, try to just surprise a brother, man. My college, my college colleagues rolled through, man. Put your hands up. Man, we go back 16, 17 years. Uh, so don't be, don't be, you know, y'all just keep everything silent, you know. They remember the old me. They remember the old me and the and the new me, um, Christ getting to my life. So thank you all for coming. It's so much love to see you all here today and see what the Lord is doing with in, in, in you all's lives. I hope to be able to fellowship with you. Um, we've been going through uh, the book of John verse by verse. We've been going through John because we believe that um, the culture has developed its own picture of Jesus Christ. And so we wanted to go to the mouth of the Savior through one of his apostles and begin to develop a theocentric worldview based on Christ, giving us his Christocentric worldview of himself. In chapter 1, we saw that Jesus Christ was presented as the pre-existent God. We saw that in chapter 2 that he was presented as the birther of the new kingdom. Um, We saw in chapter 3 that he's the one in whom the prophets uh, spoke. We saw in chapter 4 that he's the living water that will fulfill eternal thirst, not just physical thirst. And we also saw in chapter 5, um, we saw in chapter 5 that Jesus Christ is equal with the Father. And now we find out in chapter 6 that we're diving into a, a bit of a bridge we're in the section scholars call the Book of Signs. The Book of Signs. The Book of Signs is where um, Jesus is presented and a work of his is presented, and then post a work of his being presented, right after that, um, something about him from a bigger point of view is presented. And so as John uses, uh, one, of the, one of the signs that John uses that he used here is, of course, the feeding of the 5,000, which John and the synoptic gospels, that synoptic just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are gospels that are a little more synonymous in their story, but bringing out another twist based on the account, but, but no errancy in, the, in, in their information. But John utilizes this story um, differently um, than the other writers um, he uses it in a very unique way to bring about a balance that I think that we're talking about in church culture and in the broader culture. In church culture today, people, and for years, 
churches have been wondering whether or not we should just be about good works. Should we just go out and should we just serve the community? Should we just love on the community? Um, and should we seek to see people get jobs? Should we seek to see people get off of drugs? Should we seek to have a food pantry? Should we give law assistance? Should we have advocates? Should we have mentors? Should we have things that, that basically give help to the community? That's one side. But then you see another side that says, no, um, that's a social gospel and that's liberal, liberal and, and, and you shouldn't even be involved in that type of stuff. But if you preach the word of God, people will get jobs. If you preach the word of God, people will get fed. If you preach the word of God, uh, people will get off of drugs. Well, 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 that seems that seems to sound right. But both are off. Both are off. The liberal side of the camp or what we call liberal are those who want to do love rather than giving spiritual weight from the scriptures. But then you see the spiritual weighty who want to talk about the word of God, but don't want to do the word of God. There's a lot of people that are extremely infatuated with theological truths minus a theological application. That means doing something about what you heard, not just talking smack about it. But then there are those who do so much, but they don't know Jack. I mean, they're good activists. They do a lot of good work. They, they, they quote unquote love on people, but their love is limited. And so Jesus in this passage does something dope. He, he, he doesn't just, he doesn't just settle on the good work side and he doesn't just ser- settle on the word side. He seeks to bring a fuller picture of the reality of what it looks like to be comprehensive. Say comprehensive. Yeah, Jesus wants us to be comprehensive. Jesus does not want our lives compartmentalized. He just doesn't want it um, looked at on one side and the other. But Jesus, as, as he is pulling off the mask to his disciples and the multitudes more and more in revealing who he is, he wants them to know that there's a fuller picture to why he does what he does. He always wants to connect the dots. And Jesus never wants there to be any mist in the air. Jesus never wants there to be a lack of clarity. And so as, as, as we dive into this text, I'm, I'm just going to take up the topic, the, the balance, the balance, the balance. We're going to just look at verses 1 through 27. We're going to look at them verse by verse. Jesus in this passage has just been seen as talking about himself in relation to his equality with the father. Then he points back to the fact that the prophets were writing about him and that the things that they were seeking in the scriptures, he fully fulfills. Then it says, and after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. And a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up to the on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. That brings me to my first point. We live in a greedy society. We live in a greedy society. And in chapter two, in chapter two, verse 23 through 25, you see Jesus doing something unique there. Jesus began to withdraw from people. It says that Jesus wasn't entrusting himself to everybody because he knew what was in folk. 
And because he knew what was in people, he was giving them limited revelation of himself. And says the people that were seeing the signs were chasing after him. And then you see also over in chapter 3, verse 2, Nicodemus says, No one could do these signs except for the fact that the Father sent them. And then he goes up into chapter 4, and the woman with, uh, at the well, she, she, she says, I perceive that you are a prophet, after he says, go get your husband, and lays things out on her. And then she says, oh man, I perceive that you are a prophet, is this the Christ? So Jesus, the, 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 remember this is narrative literature, all of this is groundwork, so stay with me, y'all with me? So what he does is he does something beautiful. Narrative literature is different because it it seeks seeks to weave together a story after a theme. And the theme is Jesus in this book. And so the way that it kind of gives us a precursor to what's going to happen in this is you see that in chapter 3, you see just regular people's response to Jesus and improper response to Jesus. And it was the religious person that didn't have a proper response to Jesus. But then you go over to chapter four and you got a woman that's been with five dudes and now she's shacking. She has a proper response to Jesus. And her response was so beastly that she invited her whole town to come through and get with Jesus. So he shows two responses. And so now we get here and now we're going to see that same ideology through the theme that's being thread through here of Jesus, the response of one group of people and the proper response of another group of people. And so here we see that the people have been seeking signs. It says it says in verse two, it says, and a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Now, notice that they're not the sick people. They just wanted to see more signs. And because they wanted to see more signs, they began to get greedy. And the more signs they got, it didn't lead to the proper place and person that the signs were pointing to, but it, but, but, but it led them to want more, and they became intensely greedy. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 calls, calls greed idolatry. This passage is pointing back to Numbers chapter 11, verse 3, when, and Exodus chapter 16, um, when God revealed manna from heaven and gave manna to the people. And when he gave this manna, this sweet honey-like substance that they would put on a, a, a piece of uh, stone and they would grind it over with a rolling stone, lay it out, um, get everything, add water to it, and put it in the oven. And it said it tasted like baked sweet cakes. But after they had gotten the baked sweet cakes, after they had gotten the quail, after they had gotten the water in the wilderness, they were still wanting more. In other words, the signs were still not leading them to the proper place. And many of us in our lives, God has been sending us so many things, pictures in our lives, pointers in our lives, and we just keep asking him for more and more pointers to what he wants us to do. But God said, it's, 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 it's been clear, but all you're going to continue to do is you're going to keep getting greedier and greedier for God to show you something, because being around a sign gives you kind of feel like you got credit for being around spiritual things because a sign is taking place, but not credit for proper response to it. And so, and so the people are, we, we live in a signs-based culture. If you don't have signs in our culture, your, your stuff is up the creek. We live in a competitive society. You, you, got, you got TV programs, and, and how they, they, the way they lay out their beginning. You have different commercials and how they're, they're, they're competing with others. You see Walmart swallowed up Kmart and almost swallowing up Target. You see a competitive society. 
We live in a society where people's expectations are inexplicably high. Cornel West talks about in his book, Democracy Matters. He says our kids are being damaged by the level of things that they are being exposed to at an early age to the point where they're desensitized from spiritual development. We live in a society of greed. We live in a society where people want more. We live in a society of the fabulous life of where they talk about the size of yachts, the size of this guy's party, the size of this person's house, how many cars this cat has. We live in a society of greed, and everybody wants to take part in the signs. And in this passage, Jesus dives into, he doesn't have an issue with signs. He just has an issue with a lack of response to them. Next point. Jesus is authentically wants to meet people's physical needs. Stay with me. He says in verse 5 or 4, on it says, now the Passover the feast of the Jews was at hand. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him. Matthew and Matthew 14, 14 points to the fact that when Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw the multitudes, it said that he felt compassion for them. Even though Jesus knew what their response to him was going to be like, he still felt compassion on him. And man, sometimes when I walk in this neighborhood, like Deuce and I were in the uh, Barnes and Nobles the other day, <laughs> and this big tall cat looked like Bob Marley's son, the big tall dude. He walks up and you know, he could tell, you could tell he on something because he going like this, you know, going all like that real happy. You could tell when dude's on crack, you know, because they going like this and they moving and going like this. And me and Deuce and we like, dang. And uh, we're looking up like, man, is there any way that we can avoid this cat? And I think he went one way and I wanted to go another way. And, and, and the cat comes in. You know, they all, the cat's always telling you to come in. And um, they want to talk to you. And I was looking at my response to him. And then I saw a young lady named Shirley. She always comes to the front of Barnes and & Nobles. And she sits right, right like in the, in the chairs that are in the front. And you can, I can smell her from where I'm sitting. And I don't know if she got somebody's stolen cell phone, but she always gets on the phone and just starts talking to someone. And first I was like, no, nah, she's not homeless or nothing. She, she can't, she can't like got a cell phone bill. Like I'm, I'm, I'm tripping out on this, but I'm seeing that the, the more I smell the stench, the more and more I, I, I don't want to be bothered how compassionless I am. How compassionless I am. Because I feel like sometimes that people's needs inconvenience me. People wanting something from me frustrates me. And what is it going to take for me to get off my pedestal and get into their life? Compassion. Jesus was healing all over the place. His disciples were tired. They were tired. They had, they had been healing and working with, they had just come off a, a mission where they had been casting out, they'd been doing all of this work. And Jesus was like, yo, let's dip, let's go get some rest. And all of a sudden, Jesus is sitting on a mohill and he looks up and he sees thousands of people walking towards him. And in his fatigue, he feels compassion. Wow. Like, if I saw 25,000 people walking towards me after I've just ministered to them, and they want individual attention, I would have lost my ever-loving mind. 
But Jesus Christ, being uniquely the God-man, looks up and doesn't get frustrated with his fatigue, but he reaches out with compassion. And so Jesus always, listen, Jesus always wants to show mercy towards people, even though people won't trust him. And he's willing to take care of their needs, even though he knows that they, I mean, in other words, Jesus is willing to do the work. He wants them to see something beyond that, but he still wants them to know that he cares. He wants to go past people's path, and he wants them to clearly know that he loves them. So he looks up and see a multitude of 20,000 people coming towards him. And then, it's interesting what happens. He says, where are we to bribe bread that these may eat? (laughs) Now, 20,000 people are walking towards Jesus. Jesus and them are out in a rural area. No corner stores, no McDonald's, No farmer's market. And he says, where are we to get food for these to eat? Now, they reveal, Jesus reveals that his question, the text reveals, John reveals that the question is two-sided. Stay with me. He reveals that the question is two-sided. It's one-sided in that he wants to have compassion on his, on this multitude. But then in verse, in the next verse, it says in verse 6, and this he was saying to test him for He himself knew what he was intending to do. Jesus not only wanted to show compassion by giving them an outreach, but he also wanted to teach his disciples something. Many times I think when I'm reaching out to someone else is I'm merely ministering to them. But many times God shows me in the process of ministering to somebody else that he actually was trying to reach me, not just them. And so the Bible says that Jesus was testing him, and, and, dis, and rabbis would put their Talmud or their disciples in interesting situations beyond their ability based on what they've been taught for a purpose. So he was putting him in a situation that was beyond his ability to even provide. But look at what Philip does. Philip goes and he says, Philip answered and says, you know, he, start, he gets out his calculator, and he says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive enough, or just a little. Now, 200 denarii was, uh, 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 one denarii was at one day's wage. So that meant that that was minimum wage. He, said, he says, if we count minimum wage for nine, eight, nine months, it still won't feed these people. And Jesus is allowing this test. Um, he asked the question and allowed the test to come on him in order, listen, in order that it may expose his willingness to see how he will trust Jesus Christ in the midst of this ministry opportunity. And and Jesus always allows you to be in situations where there are limited resources to see where you're going to point. See, many of us, when we get in a situation and God is calling us to do something that's beyond our capabilities, we get out the calculator. But Jesus says, the fact that I have already asked you to do something means that I am expecting that something's going to happen if you would move my direction. But see, many of us, we get off the calculator, we get on our blo- MySpace, and we start blogging people, we get on the phone, and we start trying to make... But Jesus says, listen, 
You're always, you're all, listen, I put you in that situation. Somebody in here right now, you're in a situation that your resources are thin, your money, everything's funny, even your emotion, even you emotionally are to the point where, Lord, I can't, look, I can't reach out, I can't do nothing, because I have limited spiritual resources, I have limited emotional resources, I have limited financial resources. Bottom line, God, is I'm not ready to work with you right now. And Jesus always puts you in a situation where you're forced to see where you normally reach when he puts you in a situation beyond your control. He always does it. He, and he loves it when it's like that. He always loves to see sovereignly the, the odds stacked against us in relation to what we have and what he has. He, he loves it. He loves it. And I can see Jesus sitting back in the cut. He said, I'm going to throw this question out at him. They're going to act a fool. He threw it out there and backed up <laughs> and watched cats. Cats scrambling. Um, where the corner store at, man? Man, how much you got on you? Dude said, I got my debit card. You know what I'm saying? I, man, I'm, dang, I'm overdrawn, man. Ask, ask, uh, ask Thaddeus, man. Hey, Matthew, come in. And so they're, they're probably scrambling all over the place trying to figure out how they're going to. Man, it's 20. It's, they in the corner. Jesus, crazy, man. He always trying to he always trying to help people, man. We should have dipped and got on the boat, went across already. Why he tripping? Man, and they, oh, Jesus, oh, we, we got it, Jesus. We're going to we be right there in a second. And and so they keep saying, dang, man. And so they're over there just trying to calculate stuff up. And um, Andrew said that. He, he, he yells out in the crowd, hey, uh, anybody got some food? And stomach's just unanimously growling all over the crowd. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just unanimous growlate, growlization all going on. So, so a young, young, young a cat came up and he had... Three fish and five loaves of bread. Now, what's funny about this? Two fish, something like that. Two, there you go. Okay. Two fish, five barley loaves. Barley loaves were for the poor. So this cat was probably a poor dude who couldn't afford the greater possessions of the type of flour that it takes to make that. So he's poor. That's what barley loaves point to, these five barley loaves. So he's poor. So he's came out with a sandwich. Now, he wouldn't have come out there and walked that long journey with fish because it would have soured, would have gotten real bad because they were on a long journey. You, they wouldn't just do that, even though they would have put salt on it. So it, he probably pickled him some, some fish. They did pickle back then with vinegar. Or he's probably smoked them or cooked them and had everything ready because they were out just in the grassland. And so what happens is, is that Andrew brings this stuff to Jesus. Now, I'm just thinking about like, he said, man, I'm going to just, man, I know we come up short, man, but I'm going to just take it to Jesus. What y'all think? They said, man, you take it. I ain't taking it over there. And so Andrew says, look, I, 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 I seen a kid, man. This cat got some, some fish and five loaves of bread. Jesus sees the fear in his disciples' face of his response, and he says, <laughs> all right, bad fellas, y'all disperse out and have everybody sit down. They're like, have everybody sit down? So Jesus has everybody sit down. Now, it says in verse 10 that the men sat down. 
So it was 5,000 people, but it was probably between 20 and 25,000 people. Stay with me. And as the crowd sits down, it says, Jesus therefore took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed those to those who were seated. So Jesus, when he was distributing the fish and the five loaves out, the fish was already cooked. And the bread was already ready. So when he was passing these, these, these things out, all of a sudden he passed it to the men. And when the heads of the households, which the men represented, they gave it to their families. And it was a, a miracle that taking place. But, but he doesn't even focus on the miracle taking place. It says, and they were filled he said to the, his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with, with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. So they ate up all the fish, but they had some bread left. And, and, and in the midst of this, Jesus is always, listen, miracles, miracles. Let me, let me hammer away at this. Signs of God are not merely to get us infatuated with the signs. Signs that God does through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit are specifically assigned and meant to look back and to look forward of a picture of something that he's trying to show us right now. A sign is a look back at something in this context and a look forward at something. When he's calling them to look back, these people are like the children of Israel in the wilderness in the midst of the provision of God. So, he, so, it, so it brings something to mind uniquely about Jesus in this multiplication. If you look over in 2 Kings, um, 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 your man Elijah did the same type of miracle but just on a smaller scale. Um, the things that God provided in the wilderness miraculously uh, fell down from heaven. I mean, so they, they see something going on. But let's look further whether or not they look at the full scope of it. And we say this a look back and a look forward. And a look forward looks at, always looks at a picture of the kingdom. A picture of what things look like when God sets everything back up under his reign, fully realized among human beings and his creation and this provision of being filled is a picture of being eternally filled with nutrition of what God has provided for his people to never thirst and never hunger ever again. But then there's a right now reason why he does the miracle. And Jesus begins unveiling it. But check out what happens in this abridged part. Because all of this fits together. He says, it says right here, it says, it says, and when therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said this. They said, this is the truth, the prophet who is to come into the world. So they, 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 they remembered their teachings in the, in the synagogue that in Deuteronomy 18, after Moses was supposed to come, a prophet just like him who was supposed to come after him. And so the people said, man, this is the prophet. But still, their understanding of the miracle and the person that's standing in front of him is limited. How do you know? Look at the next verse. And it says, Jesus, therefore, perceiving that they were intending to, to come and take him by force, to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. 
brings me to my next point. Jesus rejects an inappropriate response to his work in our lives. Jesus rejects an inappropriate response to his work in our lives. Jesus, it says, Jesus perceiving that they wanted to make him king withdrew from them. And like, I can't imagine. Think about this. We're church planting. We know we got a nice group of people here. But Jesus, this day has 20,000 members of a church. Possibly. He could just run with it. But instead of taking these people, he sends them away. And he's willing, in the midst of having 20, 25,000 people, to move from having 20, 25,000 people to move into the 12 that got it. And in this passage, it says that they were trying to take him by force. This word here, take him by force, is the same word used, listen, by uh, Paul the Apostle talking about um, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped by force. So Jesus, noticing that they were trying to make him king by force, send him away. Why did, they, why did he send him away? He didn't have a problem with being made king. The issue is he was already king. So we don't make him king. We, he offers us the kingdom, and we walk in it as his subjects. That's the first problem. Number two is they had the improper understanding what this king was supposed to do. And because they had an improper understanding of this king, what this king wanted to do, he knew that if he had accepted their offer to be king, that he would be limited in his ability to lead them. Because many people want liberation without leadership and lordship. Let me say that again. Many people want liberation without leadership and lordship. See, if, he would have, if they would have made him king, he'd have been the people's choice, like on American Idol. If you vote for Jesus or you vote for Zacharias, push one, two, or three, the phone number. And so everybody pushes the phone number Jesus because he the one that fed him. And so now they say, yo, let's put him on the throne as king. And Jesus says, no, I don't want to be your king. He says, because you have injected in the idea of king a different idea than the one God intended. And everybody likes to have the freedoms of the Christian life. Everybody likes the liberty of the Christian life. Everybody likes the liberty and freedom of the adulthood without the responsibility of sitting under the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ within the framework of that adulthood. And so God calls us not to just enjoy the freedom that comes in Christ, but in uh, the ability to enjoy the full scope of those freedoms that are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to be Lord. That means he has to call the shots. And leader, that means he has to give you direction. That's very important for us to understand because so many people want Jesus Christ on their own terms. Our culture wants Jesus Christ as long as he's a certain way. Like my, like I can't see God doing that. I can't see Jesus Christ being like that. I can't see, see people, see, see, when you get past the beauty of the signs and all of the glitz and glam of media and you really get down to it when people begin to talking about the nutrition of the picture of that which they want and what they saw in the sign, Jesus says, I'm getting down to business. I, I, I'm, I'm bigger than the person that you're making me out to be. So now you see on the tail end, into this, their response is kind of like Mr. Potato Head. You know, Mr. Potato Head, you know, you could, he comes with pieces and parts, and he comes with a potato head, and you kind of put these kind of lips on him, these kind of eyes on him, this kind of hat on him, these kind of sneaks on him. If you don't like that, you say, ah, I don't like that. I could take those lips off, put this one on. Uh, matter of fact, I don't even like him as Mr. Potato Head anymore. 
uh, I want a Mrs. Potato Head. So you take the hat off and put hair on them. You take the lips that are like dude's lips and put on um, lips with lipstick on it. Um, you take those eyes off and put the bigger eyes with eyelashes on it, and you put a pocket. In other words, they, you, you're able to create the type uh, uh, of toy that you want. Well, we think of Jesus as Mr. Messiah Head. What we do is we, we want G, the way we want Jesus, we, we, we oh, dag the cross. Nah, let me take that off. Um, nah, lordship, nah, let me take that off. Oh, nah, uh, nah, that historical Jesus, nah, let me take that off. Nah, living the Christian life, nah, let me take that off. Ah, money, houses, cars, uh, pat his head down, give him a shape up, and that's the Jesus we want. And Jesus confronts us with, I'm not to be formed in your image, and I'm going to reject how you attempt to form me in your image, and I'm not going to allow myself to be king over you. That's how he responds to him. But it's interesting, it's, it's, and it's unique now, that as he goes into this next section, as we, as we bring it down, he says, in verse 16, it says, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. When therefore they had removed, they had rowed about three or four uh, miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. They were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, remember this. Remember how there was a rejection of who Jesus really is, but now he, uh, John uses the storm story totally differently than the other was using. They show the disciples worshiping. They show the storm and show them in a ruckus. But he, but, but, it, but, but he points in on not the reaction to the disciples, but more of a picture of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ, after he sends away the 20,000 people and he noticed that everybody is gone, Jesus Christ, um, gets out on the water, he says, man, I already sent them away because Matthew and Mark points to the fact that he sent them across the water to, to, to go to the other side. So Jesus steps out, he shakes off his feet, and um, just, he just starts walking on water. Now, they're already four miles in. So Jesus is walking on water. Now, I'm trying to figure out how in the world did Jesus get to them so fast. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. But Jesus is walking on water. And all of a sudden, the, the disciples saw Jesus. Now, what, what, what blows my mind about this is the disciples weren't afraid of the storm. They weren't afraid of the storm. The text doesn't say that it, 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 because a lot of fishermen were on and these guys were used to dealing with storms on the Sea of Galilee. Um, and so, so the storm wasn't an issue, but it wasn't until they saw Jesus that they got frightened. Now, Matthew says that he saw a ghost. They feel like they saw a ghost or an epiphany of God, a unique, um, a, a unique um, a, a re revelation of God in showing himself in a human form. They thought they had saw that. They thought they had saw a ghost. But no, nah, that's not what, what this text says. It says, and when they saw Jesus, they became frightened. It's, it blows my mind at the fact that a storm like this could be going on, and they are more afraid of Jesus than the storm. And many times in our lives, see, he's teaching the disciples too. remember, not just the multitudes, but the disciples. We're more afraid of our storms than we are Jesus. 
And Jesus, it says that when Jesus came to them, he says, an idiomatic expression that John continues to use, it says, it is I, but translated is, it's really I am, ego I me, that he's going to use. It's one of his I am statements, which points back to the name of God. And so in this passage, Jesus says, ego I me. I am. And then they said, and they received him onto the boat, which points back to chapter one, verse 12, where it says, as many as receive him, them he gave the power to be sons of God. So right here in the text, when they received him on the boat, John uses this as a difference between the way the multitudes responded to Jesus and now the way the disciples um, responded to Jesus. The, the, the multitudes rejected Jesus, but the disciples received Jesus, even though they didn't know all of what was going on. But last but not least, verse, verse 20, 2, it says, The next day, the multitude that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus has not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other boats from Tiberias, near to the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the multitude therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeing Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me because, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you, for on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. Has set his seal. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ does something wonderful. He's, he, he breaks open the reality of the real reason why he did those signs. He did those signs. Jesus did the outreach. It distinguishes pop followers from cult followers. Pop followers from cult followers. In the text, he talks to the people about an improper response to him. In verse 26, he says, I say to you, you seek me not because of the signs. In other words, you're not getting the proper understanding of the signs. But then he says, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, you're already full and you're still wanting more. So you're just greedy and you just more, you just want more of what I have to offer as a divine genie. But I want you to see something greater than what you're just seeing. He says, do not work for the food which perishes before the food which, is it, which endures to eternal life. See, pop followers, see, pop followers are only when there's an, art, an artist that's popular. They're, if everybody's watching that artist, then they're on their artists. But then if there's, a, if, there's a, if there's a co-follower, co-followers been following this artist from when nobody was even looking at this artist. The, um, the, the co-follower is saying whether, the, uh, whether this artist is popular or whether this artist is not popular. I'm so committed to this artist, I understand me and this artist is here, and I'm willing to not just be a fair weather fan, but I want to be a faithful follower. It's like when I go to, when I go to, uh, it's this place in Texas, Dallas called Eatsy's. I used to go in there, and you got Sam's, 
I used to like I, I go to I like going to Sam's, and and also I like when I go to the um when I go to the um the mall and the, and and you know the Chinese people offering samples. You know, and sometimes you know if I know I'm not gonna buy nothing, I kind of walk real close to it so that I can make sure that they ask me do I want do I want a sample. <laughs> And sometimes I'm not going to buy nothing from Sam's. I'll go in Sam's just to get the samples. And so I go through, ah, oh, what's the name of this product? Oh, okay, it's, it's, it helps with what? Okay, you can have one of those? Okay, thank you. And I go to the next one. Okay, this is a new type of meatball. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, give me one of them meatballs now. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working, I'm trying to, you know, I'm going around getting a sample, and I'll fill up off of samples. Whack out, hit me off of one of them, then I go down here, and I'm going to get me another spot, and I'm going to, I'm going all over the place to get these samples. And what happens is, is I get samples, but I get limited nutrition. I get limited nutrition because I wanted to sample the meal, but I didn't want to take the main course. Jesus says, listen, I'm tired of people sampling me through signs. I'm tired of people just coming by trying me, but don't really want the full scope of what I have to offer. And God is calling you today to stop fronting, to stop fronting and just sampling the Christian life, to stop fronting and stop sampling right living, to stop fronting and stop just sampling the Bible. But God wants you to have a life that's comprehensive in the full scope of all that the gospel has to bring. See, you've been fronting, but God is confronting you today. God is confronting the reality of the fact that you've only wanted pieces of the Christian life, but you didn't want all of the Christian life. And Jesus in this text says, listen, this is what God has set his seal on. He hasn't set his seal on the signs. The signs were appointed to me. To, appointed to me. And I like the way he, he says he set his seal on it because back in the day, of course, it, it's kings and different important officials. They, they, they're, 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 the people around them, their servants, when they were putting out a letter or, or something, they would fold the letter over and they would always have hot wax boiling. And what they would do is they would pour the hot wax on top of the letter where it would close that because they didn't have the lick envelopes like we have today. And the king or the, or the important official would, would, had an insignia that represented their character, that represented their kingdom, that represented their purpose, and ultimately represented their name. And when they would take their ring and they would close their fist and they would press on it, and then they would blow on, on the wax in order to make sure that nobody is able to mess with the seal, but the seal is closed and the emblem of the one who sins it's as if the person that received is getting it directly from the hand of this person. When Jesus says, the Father has set his seal in me, get this, when he set his seal in me, God has put the mark of eternal life on me. Not just physical life, but eternal life. So if we see the balance in its full scope, God doesn't just want to, Jesus just doesn't want to take care of our physical needs. And I know these cats on TV, all they talk about is gear, all they talk about is bling, all they talk about his cause. But listen, let me tell you something. That's not needs. That's greed. God takes care of needs, not greed. Let me say that again. Needs, not greed. But even when he takes care of the needs, it's to point to Jesus. It's the point to Jesus. Listen, God is showing you a lot of things in your life. Don't miss Jesus. God is developing you for a specific purpose and a specific plan. But all I'm telling you today is don't miss Jesus. We're going to scream this name till we're old. We're going to keep telling you the name of the old. We're going to keep getting in your grill about this name, Jesus, because we are absolutely unadulteratedly smitten by the one who set his seal in the person of Jesus Christ. And we want to see it. We want to see him showing off. We don't want to just do outreach on the block. 
We don't just want to just give out free fish. We don't just want to give out water ice. We don't just want to have cats split on the block. We don't just want to give out freebies. What we want to do is see people comprehensively transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. We're not here to merely do social work. We're not here merely to do spiritual work, but we're here to do a whole work. A whole work. And if you continue to sample, you're limiting yourself. You're limiting yourself. And just as you sample others, you sample God, you sample Christ. If you don't trust Christ, people will sample you (laughs) and use you. But when Christ gets in your life, you recognize gain. So God is calling somebody today. Get in line and get the full course. Get the vegetables. Get the bread. Get the what? Get all of it. Get the meat. Don't just sample me. If if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, God is calling you beyond the sampling stage. If you're already a believer in Christ, God wants to stretch, wants to stretch your ability to see a bigger picture of him in this life that he gives us. Lord God, I pray today that you would strike in us a balance, a balance, comprehensive total renewal that comes through Jesus. Well, God, people want everything else. They want to have their needs met. We all want our physical needs met, Lord. We, we want them from you. We want them from you. But, Lord God, more than we want things from you, we want you. We want you, God. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here today under the sound of my voice that never has experienced Jesus beyond samples, pieces of the kingdom without the full scope of the kingdom, understanding that there's a gap between God and man sparked by the first man and woman, and man has been separated from God since then. But then God came in bodily form, tucked all of his eternity, all of his beauty, all of who he is, God the Son, into a body. And he came to planet Earth to live the life we can never live and die the death that we can never die. And the beef that God the Father, because God the Father had a beef with us, had a hit out on us. Because of that, Jesus came and said, take the contract off their life and put it on my life. And when I die on the cross, the contract that you have out on their life, if they trust you, if they trust me, you'll tear up the contract and take the hit off their life. If that's you here today, just slip your hand up in the air. I see that hand. Any others? Any others?